Hello, private equity enthusiasts, and welcome to the Pod's European Tour, on which we visit bustling industry events so you don't have to. Whether it's beers in the garden or spritz on the beach, passports at the ready for this week's Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listeners, and as ever, welcome to the pod. I'm Kenny Wastel, and our editorial team here at Unquote has been jet-setting across Europe over the last month or so, taking in a couple of big PE events that people like talking about. With that in mind, we're going to be taking an overarching look at the asset class, hearing about all the gossip from the streets, and listening to an interview with Invest Europe CEO Michael Collins. To guide us on our travels, fresh off the back of a headline slot in Cannes, and in the studio with us today, it's the boss, unquote editor Greg Gilles. Welcome, Greg. Hi, Kenny. Good to be back. And of course, returning from a festival slot in Berlin, as always, unquote's answer to Barry White, Oscar Gein is with us too. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Kenny. Good to be here. So, Oscar, you've just returned from Super Return. What was the overall view from the people you spoke to and how did it differ from last year? I think the main thing is almost everybody that I spoke to commented on the positive atmosphere that was surrounding the event, Um, which is, I mean, it's worth mentioning as well that the weather was considerably better than last year when I was also there. It was probably about minus five last year and it was up to maybe 15, 16 this year. Okay, I I would feel more positive in those. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it's... uh, just human nature to be a bit more upbeat when you can sit in a beer garden at the end of the the end of the day and you don't have to wear four coats but everybody commented that it was a bit strange and you know, everybody seems to be raising funds at the moment all of the panels are about different creative and new ways to deploy a lot of capital but really not a lot's changed since last year except that we're a year closer to a possible downturn or or, or crisis and there were some sort of signs of emerging challenges so for example a lot of people said it was more difficult to get in front of LPs than last year it felt like there were less LPs around even though supposedly there were more LPs at the event than ever Um, also the special situations marketing guys seem to be out in force which is perhaps not such a, a positive sign Okay, so they, that, that might be an indication as to where the opti- optimism lies, perhaps. Well, exactly. <laughs> you could be right about that. Um, but I guess generally, I mean, the fundamentals look good. We've had, had another ye- record year of deployment. Um, fundraising maybe dropped off a little bit, but from a very high starting point in 2017. So, you know, had had another good year and people just sort of, while the sun's shining, you've you got to make hay, I suppose, would be uh, the way to summarise the feeling. Okay, and Greg, does this match with the impression that you got from uh, your trip to Cannes earlier in the year? Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, it has to be prefaced as well by the fact that it was also a fairly glorious weather. Um, and of course, when you're talking about it, not over beer, but over a glass of Aperol Spritz uh, by the by sort of the, the seaside in Cannes, people tend to be a little bit more upbeat. Another bit of a, a preface there is that it's still, to a large extent, a fairly French-centric event. Um, and I think the French industry has, as we've, we've gone over this before a few episodes ago, actually, but it still has quite a lot to cheer for um, in terms of activity in recent months, in terms of and, and just general feeling of positivity. So understandably, everyone was fairly happy about current prospects. But what, what stood out as well, I think, as, as Oscar said, is despite the fact that there was still a, some sense of worry of concern over a potential macro event in the next few months and what that might mean for the industry. Funny enough, I've just said that it was a fairly kind of 
French or, or even continental event, Brexit was still a little bit of a you know a, a question mark over proceedings. Not necessarily because, and you would think that oh you know that they should be happy because a lot of business is going to come their way or, or something like that. But there's still you know everyone knows that it, ultimately it's, it's not necessarily the best thing for for Europe either. Um, so that was there as well. But just a sheer number of different types of players and different strategies and I think it's really a, a way for for people to push into different different strategies as well especially the, the bigger players you can almost feel like they're all sort of hedging and, and telling investors look whatever the future brings we've got something that that will work in that in that environment I guess, sorry, just to jump back in there, um, but to pick up on what you said, Greg, it is fair to say that Brexit was the footnote to everything that I said. There were discussions about it going on. Is it worse to have a delay at this point than just to have even no deal Brexit? Because, you know, the longer it goes on, the more uncertainty there is for investors. And if there's one thing PE doesn't like, it's uncertainty. Uh, Having said this, I did put it to a couple of people that maybe a delay would be better uh, one very uh, influential large cap player said that's just rampant short termism and uh, a delay is clearly better than no deal because there's a chance we could still remain. Um, so differing views, but definitely that that would be one point to take away from the positivity. Yeah, and I suppose macro event in this uh, circumstance, which is what, what we're hearing quite a lot of, um, is uh, obviously there is you know a bit of a slowdown in the, the French and the, the German economies um, specifically, but uh, macro event is pretty much code word for Brexit. No one knows what's uh, what's going to happen. But um, Greg, coming back to what what you were saying, um, did you notice that you know there were any sort of particular strategies that were that had a greater degree, perhaps, of, of pos- positivity than the the other ones? Yeah, there's a couple that actually um, stand out for me, and it was quite interesting. Not not necessarily the one. One of them certainly is the one that you'd, you'd hear a lot about at conferences, especially in recent years. That secondaries. Could definitely get a feel. I've been spoken to um, a few of the fund of funds that were there. Almost the feel that they're they're really pushing for that a bit more than than the primary side at the moment, and with with good reason. When you look at the the sort of the current fundamentals of the the secondaries market, when you look at it in terms of pricing, if you're on the sell side, that's incredibly attractive, um, and I think we'll, we'll cover that in a in an upcoming podcast episode. But even just the sheer number of, of strategies you can you can deploy within that space, understandably their LPs are their own LPs are hungry for it and, and there's a lot of positivity around that, perhaps more than on the on the primary side. The other one was uh, and that's actually uh, quite heartwarming really, it's 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 venture, which for years has been a little bit kind of sidelined as these types of events i'm not sure if that came through at, at super return as well because um obviously we're dealing perhaps with uh, slightly bigger players there but a lot lot of positivity there um in terms of trying to highlight the the, the recent successes in in europe and uh, the strength and in depth that, that the market has yeah i mean their venture event is actually just down the road i didn't really get the chance to drop in actually but there's some maybe there were some crossover players whose names i kept hearing uh, Lake Star, for example, on the kind of borderline between venture and growth stage equity deals, um, certainly receiving a lot of attention. Okay, watch this space then. Uh, well, this week's special guest is Invest Europe CEO Michael Collins, who spoke to you, Oscar, while you were in Berlin. We'll be right back with that interview listener after this. 
Hello listener, I'm here to tell you about Allocate, European Private Equities AGM, hosted by Unquote. This year we'll be returning to the Grove in Hertfordshire from the 19th to the 21st of June. I'll be there, Kenny will be there, and so will more than 100 LPs, the top tier of European GPs and our advisory partners. We'll be talking about all the big themes that will affect the next private equity cycle, catching up with old friends, and maybe even taking part in some outdoor activities, cycling, golf, yoga, and a barbecue. You can find out more at events.unquote.com forward slash allocate. We look forward to seeing you there. Hello, listeners. I'm here in Berlin with Invest Europe CEO Michael Collins. Michael, welcome to the pod. Thanks very much. Okay, so we've been speaking recently on the podcast about kind of bifurcation of the fundraising market in Europe, where the brand names seem to be raising faster and faster. Some fundraisings in the low mid market maybe stall a little bit. Have you observed this as well? And um, do you, what do you think is kind of natural evolution of the market? And is it a positive development? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think I think a certain degree of bifurcation has probably always existed in uh, in, in private equity. Uh, the big brand names have got the uh, the track record that they can point to. Um, they've got the very strong, very well resourced um, investor relations, fundraising teams that can be out there scouring the market, talking to to LPs and. Smaller managers, by definition, don't have that same level of, uh, of resource uh, behind them. So I think a degree of bifurcation is a constant feature of, uh, of, of fundraising. But I think in, in, in our experience at Invest Europe, when, when I talk to our members of, uh, of all sizes, um, I don't think it is that pronounced. I think there are, there are managers of, of all sizes that are still able to fundraise quickly. Uh, I think if you look back to the most recent year for which we've got data, um, 2017, both large funds and small funds were raising capital, were being successful in the in the market. Uh, and don't forget that that ultimately, uh, with any fundraising, it is about the individual manager and the strengths and weaknesses of that particular manager. Yeah, and there so, always someone will stand out in various Exactly. There'll be, exactly. There'll be there'll always be um, some smaller managers that will that will struggle and there'll be others that will get their funds away really quickly. So I I don't yet uh, see any reason to believe that that, that bifurcation has, has grown particularly in the in the in the market. Okay, that's interesting. And overall, uh, sort of anecdotally, we noticed a little bit of a slowdown last year in fundraising. Sort of looking ahead to this year, would you expect that to continue, or will we be back more to sort of 2017 pace? Well, we're still collecting our data for for 2018, and we'll, we'll be publishing that in uh, in in May. But certainly, the first half of 2018, which we do have data at Invest Europe, was still uh, strong. Perhaps not quite as uh, as strong as, as 2017 was, which was a really good year, one of the best um, since the financial crisis. Um, uh, so uh, if there is a slowdown, firstly, it's from a high base. 2017 was a really good year. And uh, uh, secondly, I think if there, is a, if there is a slowdown, it's too early to say whether that's just a, uh, an inevitable um, decline from one year to the next because if you get a lot of big funds away in one year it's inevitable that the next year there'll be a little bit less activity we need a few more years of data i think before we can really say whether there's a, a trend that's developing here or not okay well let's talk about deployment then because we can't deny that there's a lot of dry powder at the moment 
Um, it seems like we've had a kind of record year after record year in terms of deal flow. Um, do you expect that to continue or maybe there's going to be a slight correction, but it'll slow down? Yeah, so again, if you look at the, the data for um, 2017, um, over 70 billion was uh, was deployed. That's the, the second highest ever amount of, uh, of capital that was invested in, in Europe and only slightly below the, so the peak level of 2007, which was the, which was the, the, the highest level. I think that reflects two things. It reflects the successful fundraisings that have gone on. So GPs have got capital to deploy, but it also reflects the uh, attractive opportunities that there are in, in Europe. Um, valuations are higher today than they were two, three, four, five years ago. But when I speak to, to GPs, certainly GPs from North America, they're still attracted by European opportunities because the, the valuations are lower than those that they're seeing in uh, in the US. So um, it's always difficult to call where one is in a in a market cycle. Um, but one of the strengths of European private equity, I think, has, has been that throughout the economic cycle, if you look back over the last 10 years or so, the number of companies backed every year is actually pretty stable, 3,000 plus or, plus or minus. And that tells you something about the, the steady stream, the steady flow of, of good, uh, particularly SME companies that there are in Europe for, for private equity to back. Yeah, and you just mentioned the sort of comparison with the US private equity market, um, which brings me to something else I want to ask you about, because people have been discussing today um, whether pension funds have enough private equity in their portfolios in Europe compared to where, in the US where it's slightly higher. Where, do you think we've got it right in Europe? Maybe they could have a bit more. So today, European private equity uh, does very well in fundraising from, from pension funds, around about 29, 30% of the, uh, of the capital that comes into European PE is coming from pension funds. So they are already big backers, big supporters of, uh, of, of the asset class. Uh, I think that's a combination of, of, of two factors uh, in particular. Firstly, um, the impressive returns that private equity has been delivering for those investors. So they, they like the, um, uh, the performance that they've been getting from the GPs that they've been working with. But there's also a, a, a longer term sort of secular trend, if you like, um, that means that uh, other asset classes that pension funds have traditionally invested in, particularly government bonds, just ain't delivering the returns that a lot of these funds need. I think globally, if you talk to uh, pension funds, and we were in Asia back in December, and I spoke to some, some Japanese pension funds in particular, uh, they are clear that they'll be increasing their allocation to, to, to private equity globally. And, 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 and we hope that Europe will be part of that, exactly. And, and, and part of our mission in going out there and evangelizing for European private equity is to make sure that we get a good... Uh, a good share of that. But my sense is that um, we're already doing well in attracting that, that, that PE, that pension fund money into PE, but there's more that we can do to, to make sure that that continues to flow. Um, and just last thing, just before I let you go, I'm not going to be able to get through this without asking you about Brexit. Um, I mean, some people have said that maybe a delay is almost the worst case scenario for them because it's more uncertainty. Uh, what's your view on that? Private equity is no different, I don't think, to any other uh, business. Uncertainty uh, does not aid decision-making. You know, my sense is that uh, when I talk to our members, that most of them have now worked out what their contingency plan needs to be for, for, for Brexit. 
It's one of the reasons why you've seen people bring forward some of their fundraising uh, to try and get it away before uh, the UK leaves the, uh, the EU. Others have been putting in place their EU 27 legal vehicles and, and making sure that they've got all the authorizations. Um, I think private equity is probably as well placed as it can be to, to, to cope with the, um, with the uncertainty. But clearly everybody would benefit from knowing what legal regime they'll be operating under, what legal regime their portfolio companies will be operating under next month, next year, uh, and for the, for the medium to long term. Yeah, well, let's hope for some clarification on that soon. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Thanks very much, Michael. Thank you. Invest Europe CEO Michael Collins there. Interesting to get another take on bifurcation in the fundraising market, but also on overall private equity deal activity. Some interesting takes there, Oscar. Yeah, it was an interesting take. And it was actually the thing that surprised me most when I was conducting the interview. Um, the fact that actually the number of companies in Europe backed by private equity every year is, is roughly similar. Uh, but when I actually did go and double check that with our own uh, database, unquote data, unsurprisingly, it was pretty much spot on. Um, what was interesting, though, and that we didn't have time to touch on in the interview, was that the type of private equity investment has shifted a little bit. So post-crisis generally, to big oversimplification, but if you look at venture capital, generally just after the crisis, there were lots and lots of investments of very low value. And since then, it's roughly been more and more value in the investment. So bigger and bigger tickets, but slightly fewer of them. Uh, whereas on the buyout side, it's pretty much been a steady increase in both volume and value. And when you chuck in all of the other deal types and turnaround and some direct secondaries, it does level out to roughly the same amount of investment each year. Mm, okay. And another interesting point Michael raised is North American firms finding better value in Europe. Um, now, this is something that has been ongoing for a good few years now. Uh, but what would your take be on that, Greg, in terms of the potential impact on European fund managers and deal valuations? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's been a big feature in the market. And that's something that, um, you know, certainly on the sales side, GPs will, will aspire to. Um, these these North American investors are usually willing to, to pay perhaps a little bit more. But again, as, as Michael said, they find better value here. So I think, especially at the upper end of the market, that's played that's played a big role. Um, and that's perhaps contributed to, to driving valuations upwards. Um, I'm slightly less, you know, of, of, in terms of the overall impact, um, I, I think it is perhaps a little bit marginal. The real engine room is going to be in that low mid market, even down to the sort of growth capital uh, market within Europe, and, and within that, I think just just to go back on on the theme of you know seeing kind of fairly steady levels of, of activity every year, perhaps raising um, ever so slightly, or, or going down in certain segments. When you look at the overall amount of dry powder accumulated, perhaps you know the, you can't explain everything away with uh, rising valuations and therefore we need to raise more money. There's, um, I think there's really going to have to be a switch flicked at some point in terms of finding a way to make private equity own a larger share of, of, of the economy. And I know that's a, that's a big objective uh, for a lot of the trade bodies. Uh, it, it's better, for instance, in the UK than it is in, in, in countries like France or in the Nordics. Uh, I know Invest Europe um, and um, France Invest and, and, and trade bodies like that are spending a lot of time on that. And I think that's ultimately that's what they're going to have to figure out. 
and to play devil's advocate a little bit here, but I think it is worth highlighting that for European private equity, obviously new players in the market is not always going to be a positive thing. As Greg mentioned, obviously at the upper end of the market, and it's a, a good exit route for the lower mid market players, um, like Argan Partners, for example, is recently or is currently looking at setting up an office in London, which can only be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. But when you think about kind of the early stage and kind of venture players moving in on the deal flow, and I don't want to mention any names here, but Perhaps there are some firms that obviously it's positive that they're looking at Europe and seeing good opportunities, but it might not be so great for the local players. Mm. And just quickly, because we are about out of time, speaking of uh, international investors and their their impact, uh, did either of you want to quickly touch on Michael's views on pension funds? Yeah, I thought that was a, a really interesting point. And, and again, that's been a, a massive fixture of the fundraising market, seeing interest from uh, Asia and from the US specifically when it comes to, to pension funds. Uh, and I think that then obviously the next big step is trying to get similar level of, of uh, attraction for European um, European pension funds. Um, and I think, again, lots of progress being made in, in places like the UK, um, the Nordics, uh, to some extent Germany, I think. But in other parts of the, the continent, is going to be a little bit tough from almost cultural slash political reasons. And I think, again, there's going to be a lot of lobbying work there to, to be done to, first of all, arrive at that point where local pension funds are a kind of viable source of capital. Uh, and then positioning PE as you know uh, uh, the best recipient for uh, for that in, in terms of their allocation strategies. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing what the rest of this year's private equity event schedule has in store for us. I'm afraid that is all we have time for this week. Please do take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or of course, continue listening on unquote.com. A very big thank you to our two panellists in the studio today, to our special guest, Invest Europe's Michael Collins. And as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. We'll speak to you soon.